Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back to the show where every week we go exploring in the pursuit of awesome. You can count on us to keep you informed of all the best shiny things out there when we share our Awesome of the Week. In each episode, we also take your questions and bring you the answers you need to help you uncover all the awesome within your own life. My wonderful friend and Enneagram coach, Lee Kramer of LeeKramer.com is here with us this week as my guest co-host. We are going to be talking about all things Enneagram. Whether you have never heard of the Enneagram, or if you're a longtime enthusiast of this ancient way of understanding personalities, I know you're really going to love this show. Lee explains all about the nine types, and we each share how knowing our Enneagram type has helped us leave behind unhealthy patterns and grow into new understandings of ourselves and of life. Of course, we'll start the show off as we always do with our Awesome of the Week. All of that coming up in Episode 12 of Sorta Awesome. Hi, Awesomes, and welcome back to the show. I am thrilled to welcome my very dear friend and guest co-host today, Lee Kramer to Sorta Awesome. Lee is an expert on the Enneagram system, and we're going to be digging into this ancient way of understanding human beings in just a little bit. But first, we're going to start as we always do with Awesome of the Week. Lee, are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay, let's get going. (laughs) Uh, So my Awesome of the Week is not normal for me. Uh, I went to see the Newsies show, the Broadway show. I'm here in Nashville. Uh, a friend had an extra ticket, um, which was great. I haven't, I didn't really remember the story because it's been years since I've seen the movie. Yeah. Um, but it was a fantastic show, and the the dancing was amazing. I was I was super impressed with it. So that mm. you know that was great. Yeah. But so the fun. awesome part comes in after the show. Uh, my friend had um, gotten us an invitation to this the Newsies cast party at this bar. Whoa. (laughs) um, Yeah. So this is, uh, I feel like this is one of the most Nashville things that I've done in a while. (laughs) This might be the most Nashville thing that I've ever done. Um, So we went to this um, bar that is in Printer's Alley, um, 
which if you're familiar with Nashville at all, it's where a lot of the newspapers um, and the magazines, they all used to, um, be, they were put together in Printer's Alley. Okay. Um, and But now it's mostly um, bars. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything else that goes on down there. Gotcha. But gotcha. this was um, one that no one really knew about. Um, no one in, in our group knew about. And uh, apparently they don't advertise. It ah, is super exclusive. Yes. Uh, you kind of need to be a musician. And not just like any musician, but a well-known established musician. So like if you're Paul McCartney or Elvis, oh. you would maybe go, you would go to this place after you put on a show. Oh, and then wow. you might um, cool. you might spend time in the rainbow room mm-hmm. and you might put on like a second show for the people, like all the exclusive people that are in this place. So this is the only way that I could ever be allowed to go to this bar. I mean, this is, that is <laughs> I don't fantastic. have, I don't have any kind of music credentials. Um, so it was super fun. They had fancy cocktails and the cast was there and uh, there was a reality TV star. Mm. Uh, I didn't watch that show, but you know, there, there she was. And, and there she uh, was. <laughs> and then this was a, a new experience for me, but there was a burlesque dancer. Oh, fun. Yeah. So that was very, that was very interesting. So there were also exciting. some children that were in the cast. And so I was kind of like, do we need to cover their eyes? Because <laughs> I don't Shield know about the this. eyes of the innocent. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, oh, and there was a ghost story. Oh, uh, because whoa. the owner apparently was murdered. <gasps> Um, 20 something years ago, so they, the bar closed after he was, after he died mm-hmm. and then they reopened it a couple years ago and it's very word of mouth, still very exclusive. Yes. Um, and it's, it was just so wild to be in there and to be hearing all the stories and, um, and the drinks were, I mean, I've already talked about the drinks, but, uh, the one that I loved the most was grapefruit juice and bourbon. I'm on this big grapefruit juice thing right now because I had grapefruit juice and gin last week, and oh. I thought it was amazing. So yeah. I think that's going to be my my thing for the summer. It's a very summery drink, it sounds like. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I don't think I can ever top this awesome of the week because that is very fantastic. unusual. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very fun night. What a night. Completely awesome. I am a hundred shades of jealous for sure because... <laughs> I mean, the show alone would sound like it would be a blast and then to get to have that experience afterwards. Oh, my goodness. So Mm -hmm. fun. So fun. And somewhere, somewhere right now in Pennsylvania, Rebecca is dying that you got to see a reality TV star. You know, she's the one that's totally into all things reality TV. She probably knew exactly who it was. I don't know. This was this was a very obscure show. I mean, there are there are reality TV stars that I would be excited to see. um, But this person, I never watched the show and have, gotcha. have no context for, gotcha. but she looked like she was on reality TV. <laughs> that sounds that. meaner than, than it should, but she had that look about her. <laughs> well, just kind of like I could be on camera right now. It was just kind of like very, ah, yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> well, that is certainly very, very awesome. That's hard to top. And, and mine definitely doesn't even come close, but I do have a little awesome of the week to share. As uh, people who are familiar with the show know, I've gone on and on in the past about how much I really love the Lost Rewatch podcast. Mm -hmm. It is hosted by um, Max Temkin, who created Cards Against Humanity. That's 
Okay. He's done a ton of other work in life, but that's sort of the thing. Cards Against Humanity is his company. He's the creator. That's what he's sort of most notable for, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Klepek, who's a friend of his and um, a, a well-known writer in the video gaming sphere of life. Um, so I enjoy their show immensely. Um, and I knew as we went through this first season, they had said from the beginning, they were only going to cover the first season of Lost because I mean, who can devote the rest of their lives essentially to <laughs> covering every single episode of Lost. So as we moved through the first season, I knew it was obviously going to be coming to an end and they had finished off, um, episode 23 with talking about how they didn't know what they were going to do next, but they were tossing around some ideas. Would they, would they hit the highlights of the rest of Lost? Would they just move to a totally different show, like maybe Firefly or The West Wing or something like that? So mm-hmm. as we were coming to the end, I was like, you know, I have just enjoyed this show so much. I'm just going to send them a little email. So I did, not thinking that, you know, any anything would come of it. In fact, they had finished that episode at the beginning of May. There were several weeks of delay before their last episode of the season came out because they did a live event. It had to be rescheduled. So there was some delay. I kind of had forgotten that I wrote them this email. (laughs) So finally, but I was waiting and waiting, waiting for this last episode to come out because I just couldn't wait to hear their thoughts, both on the finale of last season one, and then also if they had any idea what they were going to do next. And um, so I'm listening and they start going through fan mail. And I'll tell you what, Lee, they read my letter by email on the show. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) And again, I... I kind of had forgotten. And then as they started reading Famuel, I remembered and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I mean, I wonder if they're going to read mine. And then they start to read it. And I just, like, I could feel my whole body just flush. <laughs> it, was like, it was very surreal. I could not believe that they actually that read it awesome. on this show. And um, I felt very vindicated because in my email, now I had lots of glowing praise for them. And I genuinely did tell them how much I enjoyed the show. But I did tell them that in the beginning, I was a little annoyed with the show because first of all, there's a lot of video gaming talk on there, which is not not exactly relevant to Lust. And then also I was annoyed because even though they set up the whole podcast as a rewatch of season one of Lost, they refused to indulge in any talk that would be spoilery to anybody who has not seen the whole the whole series oh and I was that's... like that doesn't make sense yeah yeah so, if you're re-watching it then you right. assume that everyone yes. I mean you may not remember every single part of it right. but right so anyway I did feel vindicated because after they read that point that read that part they were both like yeah that those that that's on point that's fair <laughs> So anyway, it just completely made my whole week. It was such a thrill. And um, they did not really talk about exactly what they're going to do next. I think they are going to try to parcel up the the other seasons and maybe just hit some of the more um, notable episodes. I mean, obviously, in six seasons and there is, you know. It, it sprawled on for a long time. So I think right. gonna, um, it covered a lot of territory with did. that show. <laughs> it did. Yes. So, uh, so we'll see. I think they're going to try to um, just hit the highlights of the rest, but that was my awesome of the week. Pretty I awesome. Pretty Very awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Lee, Lee Kramer, again, yes. I'm so thankful that you are coming on the show today. Um, we have had, there was a couple of people who had submitted questions um, 
about just the Enneagram in general. In fact, Megan Liu on Tumblr had um, submitted a question just asking if I'd ever studied the Enneagram or if I was familiar with it. And then um, a couple of people in the Facebook group, Sorta Awesome Hangout on Facebook, had suggested having you come on the show and talk about Enneagram stuff. So, and I know you're getting ready to... um, (laughs) to go into a big transition in your life. So we'll talk more about that later, but I'm just so thankful that you were able to take the time to join us today. I'm so, I'm so happy to do this. This is like a life goal. Like ever since you started it, I was like, I've, I've got to, I've got to do this. (laughs) Yay. Well, here we are only 12 episodes in and you get to be on the show. I know. (laughs) Okay. That should be my, like my actual awesome of the week is like. (laughs) (laughs) You are very kind. Okay. Enneagram. For, yes. for anybody who is completely unfamiliar and is even wondering what it is that we are talking about, give us the broad overview exactly uh, what what's the best way to describe what the Enneagram is. It is a personality typing system. There are nine types and it explores um, basically why we behave the way that we do. The idea is that um, in our childhood, we developed strategies to deal with the world, mm-hmm. um, kind of survival mechanisms. Sure. And, and we use those um, mostly subconsciously. We're not very aware of why we do what we do, um, just that it has um, gotten us a little further along. Um, but at some point, usually in your 20s, early 30s, you realize that those survival mechanisms actually don't do you many favors. Um, and that oh. is kind of where the Enneagram can come in and show you a model for healthy growth okay. um, and kind of show you um, what you can be when you're healthy and balanced. Gotcha. Gotcha. That is really fascinating. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, do you, do you know some of the origins of it? I remember in a post that you had written, and of course I'll, I'll put this into the show notes, um, that it's, um, has maybe some Christian origins. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? So there, there's a lot of theories floating around about how it started. No one is a hundred percent sure. Okay. Um, but from what I, most people who write on the Enneagram would say that it started um, with the Sufis and the Desert Fathers and Mothers. So it's been around for hundreds of years. Gotcha. Um, there is some similarity between um, the seven deadly sins, except that there's also two more mm-hmm. um, to make the nine types. Um, there's some different, I don't know, just personality theorists in general that probably contributed and kind of formed it into more of what we know it is now, but it's been around for a long time. All right. Now, how, what is your story with the Enneagram? Um, how mm-hmm. did you go from um, being you know, a novice at it to really putting so much time and energy into learning the system and helping other people learn it? Mm-hmm. Um, about five years ago, I was back home. This was after I'd moved to Nashville. I was back home for a friend's wedding and my friend Mark agreed to be my chauffeur for the wedding. (laughs) And he was uh, taking me home and we were just talking about all sorts of things. And out of the blue, he he asked me if I'd ever heard of the Enneagram. And I was like, any of what? But I was, I was still a social worker at the time. And he thought, uh, based on, on my work that I would probably find a personality typing system to be interesting. And, and he was 100% correct. 
So I read Richard Rohr's book um, called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective, and uh, just really sat with um, the profiles of those nine types for a while and was kind of um, trying to figure out, was I type four? Was I type two? Those were the, the two types that I um, gravitated to the most. And um, and I, and I'm, I am a four, and it took me a little while to except that I was a four because there were so many things about type two that just seemed so nice to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really, I mean, I, I, I know what my inner demons are, mm-hmm. but I didn't really want to uh, face them and claim them. Right. Right. Uh, Let's just pause for just a minute yes. um, for the, again, for those who aren't familiar with the system, mm-hmm. what is the name of type four and what is the type two um, that might help people kind of get sure. a context for, you know, how you landed at coming down in between those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, type four is usually known as uh, the romantic or the individualist. Um, and type two is usually known as the helper. Okay. Um, so as a social worker, I can see how that mm-hmm. might have influenced, you know, how you uh, view yes. yourself as experiencing the world. Yes, definitely. So with the two, um, they are very much there for other people. They're very warm and compassionate. Um, of course, they have their own stuff. Uh, type fours are really great at walking alongside people during their darkest hour, um, which is very true of me. Uh, but that something about the way that the two was phrased, I was like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm, I help people. I didn't want to like own the, like the, the moody, selfish, self-absorbed part of being a four. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it, it really, I would say within the span of a couple of weeks from when I finished reading the book, I was like, okay, you're a four, just own it. Just, yes. just own it and go with it. Um, and so that's, you know, it was just something that I really liked and in, enjoyed learning about, but no one, no one I knew knew what I was talking about with the Enneagram and nobody right. knew their type. And so it's just kind of this little thing that I knew about myself. Um, and then I would say after, after two or three years of knowing my type, I started to see just more chatter um, on Twitter about it. And so then I was kind of like, oh, my people, and I just <laughs> talking to them about it. And, uh, and then I decided to write a post about it. And, um, and a couple of years ago, I went back to therapy. Um, I was just feeling really stuck in my life and uh, decided it was time for a tune-up. And my counselor, I think our second or third session, she used the Enneagram in oh, our wow. session. Yes. And that brought it to life in this whole new way to really think about what do I look like when I'm healthy versus unhealthy? How do I act when I'm stressed versus mm-hmm. when I'm feeling secure? And so using that in the context of therapy was huge for me. Um, and I ended up going to a seminar at a church. It was like a, a six-week seminar. Um, and around that time, I got my own set of Enneagram flashcards. And I started doing that with friends. That's actually, that's right when um, I did it with you. Yes. Uh, and uh, and it was just something so fulfilling to do with people and to see them have that light bulb moment of, oh, yeah, this is me. Um, and... And, you know, there's that initial moment of like, oh, gosh, this is me. But then you can also see, <laughs> you know, where you can go with that. Right. And, uh, and yes. so I think just from working with friends enough and, and I was talking about it so much that I, either people were sick of me talking to them about it, uh, but, but <laughs> they suggested that I look into um, actually becoming an Enneagram coach. And uh, so it just kind of evolved from there. It was just 
you know, I guess that's what happens when you're obsessed with something. Uh, totally. Yes. <laughs> I totally get that hundred percent. And we're going to talk a bit more about your coaching business here mm-hmm. in a little bit towards the end of the show for sure. Um, but yes, I was so thankful that you did have the, um, the knowledge and the background to go through the flashcards with me. It was, um, a great experience. And I want to talk a little bit more in just a moment about that sort of, um, feeling of, uh, maybe, uh, not being thrilled when you first discover what your type <laughs> yes. is. But before we get to that, I did want to talk about, because most um, listeners know, in fact, on the very first episode of Sort of Awesome, I talked about the one thing that I'm always talking about is Myers-Briggs, that particular personality typing system. Um, and, and you and I have talked extensively about the differences between Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and how they find intersections in people's lives. Um, you and I have talked about how Myers-Briggs really focuses and looks at um, the, the brain, <laughs> like the actual way <laughs> that our brains uh, process and per- perceive and act on all of the information in the environment around us. Enneagram is a little different. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the things we've hit on in terms of the difference between Myers-Briggs and Enneagram? Yeah, I I think of it as Myers-Briggs kind of being how we are, um, how we look at the world, and the Enneagram is more why we are, yes. um, why we behave the way that we do, what our motivations are. Yes. That is so true. That really is so true because I think one of the things I found that I have found through the years, again, I've been looking at Myers-Briggs for a long time. um, And one of the things that I would bump up against is I, I fully understand why I experience the world the way I do as an ENFP. I have because I am so obsessed with it. I have dug down deep into (laughs) understanding the cognitive functions. And I understand, you know, that I have extroverted intuition backed up by introverted feeling. I understand all of that. Where I was getting so frustrated was that it wasn't really helping me to move forward and um, Mm -hmm. work with the skill set that I have and work with the, the way that my brain is actually formed to overcome the obstacles that come along with being an ENFP Um, and for other people for, you know, being the type that they are in Myers-Briggs, there's a great thing about understanding like, oh, okay, this is why I, you know, this is why I, as an introverted feeler, when I'm going through a really big emotional thing, like I, even though I'm an extrovert, I don't want to talk to anybody about my feelings. I'd rather just hide under my covers and try to work through it on my own. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's a lot of understanding about that that comes along, but not so much about like, here are the challenges at ENFP. Here's what you need to do to overcome those challenges. Whereas Enneagram, because it does focus on healthy directions and then also unhealthy directions, Mm -hmm. I feel like for me, it has given me the tools to see like, okay, I'm like really moving in some healthy ways here. Or it's like red flags when I start to notice these characteristics coming up in my life. Right. I need to pause and take stock of what all's going on because these are some big indicators for my type, which is type nine, the peacemaker that I am not not making healthy choices at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I like to say that the Enneagram isn't content to let you stay the way you are. Oh, that is so true. That is so if, true. If you're willing to do the work because you yes. can know your type, I mean, you can know your Myers-Briggs type, you can know your strengths finder, you can, you can know all of those different things. And that's just something, you know, it doesn't mean it changes you in any way, but if you really, um, I, I guess the Enneagram 
allows you or gives you permission to pause and take a step back and think about, do I want to respond to this the same way that I normally do? Or do I want to open myself up to maybe trying it a different way? But initially, it seems impossible to do things another way. When you are... Because it's just, it's just second nature. What, and, and this sounds kind of vague because I'm not talking about a specific example. But, you know, when I'm stressed, I'm going to respond the way that I always do because that's just what I always do. Yes. Um, but I can also pause and be like, okay, if when I'm stressed, I can kind of go to a really dark place. Mm-hmm. And that's not good for anybody. And I don't want to go to that dark place. So what can I do instead that's right. going to seem really scary at first? Because yes. it's not how I normally do things, but right. what could I do instead? Um, and it's just like those baby steps and Absolutely. and moment by moment decisions of do I do it the old way or do I do it the new way? That is so true. And that is something that I have found to be so powerful in my life. It makes you confront those unhealthy or or even those comfortable stress coping mechanisms it makes you confront it, but it's like it just offers a different path. Right. Um, for type nine, you know, one of the things that we nines do when we're stressed is we just disengage, just like, Mm-mm, not mm-hmm. going to deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of the things that I've read about type nine that are encouragements to get out of that pattern is like, maybe you should try being fully present to the people around you, even when you're Mm -hmm. stressed kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so initially when I read that, I'm like, no, I don't want to be fully present. I'm stressed out. (laughs) I want to just completely check out because it's Mm -hmm. too stressful to stay engaged. But it does. It's it's a very it's almost like a non-judgmental friend who's just sitting there and going, hey, have you thought about doing it this way? This might be a healthier approach. Maybe right. you'll give it a try. And you sort of, it's like you said, you have the freedom that, you know what, there's some days when I'm like, yeah, I know that's a healthy thing I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do it. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's important to know that we're always going to have the same struggle. Yes. But hopefully over time, you begin to respond in a healthier way. So yes. I'm like type four's biggest struggle is envy in comparison. That is always going to trip me up. Always. But hopefully... I can start to look at it in a different way. And when I notice those thoughts coming up, I can counter them or not give in to them. And also just focus on uh, making sure I'm practicing really good self-care so that um, the flip side of that, my my great gift is emotional balance. So what can I do to be more emotionally balanced? And what does that look like when I am emotionally balanced? That's what I strive for now. Absolutely. So we've talked about some of the differences between Myers-Briggs and Enneagram as, um, as personality systems. One thing I wanted to talk about, too, is kind of how they influence each other. And something that I have really discovered, because I do talk to people about Myers-Briggs a lot, uh, <laughs> again, to the point of annoyance of all of those around me. Um, but, you know, so if you take a test, whether the formal test or even if you just take one like at 16personalities.com and you get your results, you go and you read through profiles. And Lord knows there's profiles aplenty on the Internet if you are interested in finding out more about your Myers-Briggs type. So a lot of people will um, be reading through their profiles. And for you know a lot of people, it's like, oh, my goodness, this explains so much. That's totally me. But then they'll come across a paragraph or they'll come across a whole profile, maybe just depending on who has written it and their perspective. And it's like, golly, that just does not ring true. 
And I have, as I've discovered Enneagram and sort of begin, begun to sort of synthesize them in my mind, mm-hmm. I've begun to see that really, because one does look at how we are, and the other Enneagram looks at why we are, it explains so much why there's these gaps in our um, being able to relate to the different parts of the sort of archetype of our, mm-hmm. of our Myers-Briggs types, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, because totally. I have a lot of friends who are ENFPs, but I don't know that I have any friends that are ENFPs who are also type nines. You and I have a great group of mutual friends. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of ENFPs in that group. Yes. And quite a few of them are also type eights yes. um, on the Enneagram, which is, um, and I can't remember, what is the name of type eight on Enneagram? Uh, no, I have to look. Gosh, the the problem is that oh, there the are so many. is what. That's probably the more common one. The one yeah. that, each, that's what Each Enneagram, type has so many different names. Yes. So. <laughs> Enneagram Institute calls it the challenger. So um, mm-hmm. a type eight ENFP is going to express herself differently because of it's, she's a different, different um, holistic human being than a type nine ENFP. So I don't know. It just, it was like such a huge light bulb moment to be like, Oh, that's why I can be really close friends with another ENFP, but she is, you know, people experience her as being extremely, you know, just like um, assertive and always speaks her mind and, you know, all of these different aspects, Mm -hmm. whereas that Mm -hmm. is not me at all. That's where Enneagram comes along and is like, well, that's because... You know, as a motivation. Yeah, exactly. Totally, totally. (laughs) But I do wonder, because I think people will read their Enneagram type and have the same response. Like, well, that's not, that's not me. Mm -hmm, So I do mm -hmm. wonder if some, sometimes we come across information and we're not ready to accept that about ourselves. That's true. Because I've noticed that with the type four. I mean, one of the things about fours is that they're selfish and Mm self-absorbed. And when I read that, I was like, well, that, that is not me. Like Uh I'm always there for other people. And, but I... I would say maybe two years ago, I, um, a friend had invited me to do something and I had no interest at all in doing this, even though I hadn't seen them in a while. And I just said, no, because uh-huh. it wasn't something that I wanted to do. Right. Um, and I was like, wow, like that's really selfish. <laughs> 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 so maybe I'm not selfish in some areas, but I am selfish in this regard. And, uh, right. and that yes. was kind of a moment of like, Hey, you should maybe think about saying yes to things more often, mm-hmm. even when it's something that you don't want to do, even if it's going to a country music show and you hate country music and your <laughs> friends know that you hate country music. And why are they inviting you when they know that you, you hate country music? That's not the right. point. Right. right, right. <laughs> so, um, but, but I mean, I think there can be things in, in all of the profiles where it's just not going to be true of you because of, for whatever reason, yes. um, that, you know, we're all very unique people, even though there are oh, sure. know, the yes. 16 personality at Myers-Briggs and the nine Enneagram, like there are still a lot of differences amongst us. And oh, sure. Um, totally. so I always just kind of wonder, like, is this, is this really something that's not true of you? Or is this just something that you're not ready to accept? That is such a great point because whereas, and again, in, in my experience, a lot of times when somebody really lands on their, um, lands on a Myers-Briggs type and profile description that really rings true. There's like, yay, I totally get it. This is really mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. It seems like the opposite experience. One of the hallmarks of the Enneagram yes. is that people have a lot of resistance. And I will tell you what, they have a lot of resistance to accepting that they may just be that type. The one that sort of 
makes them almost even angry or agitated when they're reading about it mm-hmm. is, is generally the type that they are. And I have to tell you a story. When I very The very first time I heard of Enneagram was Shauna Nequist had written a post about it Oh yeah, mm-hmm. on her blog. I can't remember when it was. I'll do some digging and see if I can find it. Um, Mm-hmm. It was about Enneagram, and I had never heard of it before. So I was just, I was doing some looking through, and I just skimmed through the nine types. And when I got to Peacemaker, I was like, huh, uh, nope. <laughs> just, <laughs> even just the name Peacemaker, because yeah. in my family of origin, in ways that were healthy, but also a lot of ways that were unhealthy, I was looked to and relied on to be the Peacemaker. And when I saw that that was one of the types on the Enneagram, I immediately was like, no, just. I'm, yeah, like not that's that. not nope. <laughs> not me. I do not want to be the peacemaker. I'm tired of that. That mm-hmm. was, you know, just a lot of unhealthy associations with it. And then when mm-hmm. I was reading through it, and like one of the chief, um, um, what's the word? One of our big problems as peacemakers is like laziness, particularly not just like the root struggle. Yeah, yes, the root struggle mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Not just physical laziness, but also laziness in relationships, as you and I have talked about. Mm-hmm. I was like, no. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. why do you think yeah. it is? It may go back to what you said, that you're just not ready. But why do you think it is that people have that just like really strong reaction sometimes when they're confronted with or even just it's suggested to them that they might be this type? It's very exposing to to say that, to recognize your truest self Mm. Um, and not not the good parts of your truest self, because those good parts are in there. But the stuff that you maybe fear you are or that have hurt you over the years, um, we don't we may we may say like, I know I'm not a perfect person. There are things that I'm working on, but you can kind of leave it vague in general. You don't Mm -hmm. have to spell it out for everyone. And when I say that I'm type four. If you know anything about the Enneagram, then you know a lot about me. You know yes. a lot of the things that I struggle with. And that that's very vulnerable to put out there. I don't want people to know the things that I struggle with. I would rather have you see me as this very capable, amazing person. And maybe that's how most people experience me. But if I tell you that I'm a four, I don't want you to be doubting and focusing on the part where I'm moody and can be self-absorbed. And when I'm really stressed, I'm probably going to run away and hide for a while right. because that doesn't really sell me on anyone. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I think that's, I think that's why there is that initial uh, hesitation or resistance because um, it's hard to really um, own those things and to claim it. Um, it's not, it's not easy, but I yeah. think when we can do that, then we open ourselves up to this healthier way of, of uh, working our way through life and, um, and so hopefully true. to the benefit of our relationships. Because it's not just right. about being whole with yourself, but how you um, interact with others and how they um, interact with you. That is very true. Very true. In fact, that leads right into what I wanted to ask you about next, or just kind of talk a little bit about one thing that you and I have done just sort of informally is kind of talked through my husband's type. And whereas with the uh, Myers-Briggs system, where you can just kind of like take a test again, some of them maybe not highly accurate, the ones you know, <laughs> we have on the internet, or you can take a formal test. Enneagram is a little bit different in that 
if you don't have access to someone who can, like you, who can do the flashcards or something like that, that a lot of times the advice is to just kind of look through, read through each profile. Like you said, sit with it, think about it, meditate, um, think about what, you know, what really rings true for you, the good and the bad. Right. Mm-hmm. So you and I talked through, I could not get Kyle to sit down and read through all yeah. these profiles. <laughs> yes. It was, a, it was a big moment for him to sit down, you know, 16 personalities and take that test. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> But as I read through them, and you and I talked through this quite a bit, you're so generous with your time to talk through some of this with me. We determined that um, Kyle is a type five, the investigator mm-hmm. type, which mm-hmm. I do have to say this. I've been talking about Myers-Briggs forever, and I think that some people, are, both men and women, some people are really resistant to being labeled. They do not want yep. to label. They do not want to be put in a box. And so as much as Kyle understands and appreciates the things that I talk about with Myers-Briggs, especially the cognitive function stuff, he really gets that. Um, mm-hmm. When I read to him the profile for type five, he was like, that is crazy creepy how accurate it is. (laughs) It was so completely on point. Um, The investigators are the ones who really like to, they're innovative, they're independent, they're inventive. Mm -hmm. They are kind of in their heads a lot. Is that fair to say? Mm -hmm. Um, They can be high strung and intense, but they, you know, also are the people who are really willing to dig into a problem to find a new answer. Like I said, they're innovative people. They're visionaries. Visionaries, Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. One thing that I want to point people to if they're interested in looking into some some of the profiles that are out there and some of the information is the Enneagram Institute, um, mm-hmm. which is just EnneagramInstitute.com. Um, one thing that they offer on their profiles is looking at each type in relationship with other types. Yes. So when I, again, when I was kind of going through all of this stuff with Kyle, I read to him about Enneagram type five and nine in relationship. So this is the investigator and the peacemaker in relationship. And it talks about how this pairing gives each other a great deal of personal and emotional space for doing things on their own. Neither Mm -hmm. one would hover or intrude on the other. Although the capacity for healthy emotional connection and interest is still present, they're not going to be the the couple who's always just like on top of each other, wanting to the other to engage and all of that. Right. They naturally mm-hmm. give each other a lot of space. It goes on to say, this pair is characterized by a sense of quiet, non-intrusiveness, spaciousness, and respect for each other's boundaries, works, and indiv- um, individuality. Nines are undemanding and uncritical, but they appreciate five's intellectual sharpness, their ability to ask the right questions to draw them out of their own inner fuzziness. Fives mm-hmm. appreciate the nine's warmth and nurturing qualities. As I was reading through this, it was it was really stunning how accurate that has that description has been through the history of our marriage. Um, mm, next month we'll be that. married for seventeen years, and Uh-oh. I know, and for a long portion of that. Kyle was a college football coach, and um, and I was a teacher, and then later a mom at home with kids. And we always have just given each other a lot of space to kind of do our own thing, which by a lot of marriage books and courses and other standards, 
you know, I could get to feeling pretty badly about that when I would listen to those Mm. other voices um, or compare our marriage to other people's voices. But at the same time, I just could not argue with the fact that that sense of spaciousness in our marriage has always worked wonderfully for us. Mm -hmm. And it's something Mm -hmm. that we just kind of fell into very naturally, even before we had kids and Kyle had a rare off day. A lot of times we would just spend it, you know, reading or pattering around and Um, Mm -hmm. Again, just, you know, being together, but not really doing things together. So anyway, as I read through this, it really validated, I guess I should say, for me, a lot of aspects of our marriage that I've always been somewhat insecure about because it doesn't match up with sort of what our culture's idea about what a healthy marriage should look like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, too, just being able to look through the profile and, and understand what the chief motivations for type 5 are and what their root struggles are, that mm-hmm. unlocked a whole different um, view on my husband, somebody I've known since I was 18. But just like, oh, my gosh, that totally makes sense then that that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's how he's working through stuff or that's why this continues to be a struggle. And mm-hmm. In the same way that I love this about Myers-Briggs, it really helped me to just understand him and to extend grace. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's just been a super helpful aspect of of marriage. Um, just one of those like tools that helps you as you're trying to navigate life together to go, oh, okay, I totally get why you're doing that. So Right. It, we can give grace to one another um, and also understand like not everyone sees the world the way that we do. Right. Which on some level we're aware of, but when things are playing out, it can be easy to take it personally or yes. in my case to be overly sensitive about how people are or aren't responding uh, right. to what's going on in my life. Um, yes. But when I can think about why they are the way that they are, I'm like, oh, it's not about me. Right, right. So speaking of things that are going on in your life, you, like I said at the beginning of the show, you are getting ready to go through a huge life transition. I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about just what you have going on personally. And then also knowing what you know as a type four about yourself, um, maybe just talk a little bit about how that understanding of yourself was important as you worked is these months leading up to this huge life change um, have played out for you? Well, I guess I should just say what the big transition is from the start, yes, and yes, then I yes. can kind of. <laughs> uh, so I'm moving to San Francisco Yay! from Nashville. Yeah. Um, I leave uh, town uh, June 17th. And so I would say, I, I feel like this decision has been a couple years in the making, but I had no idea that I would end up in San Francisco or that I would leave Nashville. I knew that things in my life weren't quite working, uh, but I wasn't sure why that was or what I could do differently. And so one of the big things about being a four is that we're very self-aware. We're always trying to be our most authentic selves. So I'm always thinking about how can I uh, become more healthy? Am I really engaging life as my best self or am I retreating? And so working through the Enneagram, um, going back to therapy, like that was a big part of being like, what do I need to change? Can I change something? Um, is this just how life is going to be in my mid thirties or is there some change that needs to come out of it? So, uh, I was a social worker for several years and I left social work, gosh, four years ago, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then I worked as a nanny for a few years for an amazing family. And that was to focus on my writing, um, but also 
to just be a better human mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Uh, social work can just take a big toll on a person. Yeah, and the last sure. place that I worked, I just noticed that I wasn't having the best work-life balance and right. um, wasn't willing uh, to compromise that anymore. And so that's why I made the big change and uh, decided to ac- re- retire my social work license, uh, which was a big decision, but uh, still feel really good about that. So when you decide to retire your career yes. in your mid thirties and nannying comes to an end, then what do you do next? And that's been the big question that I've been trying to answer since um, September. And the answers uh, did not come very quickly at all. And so um, last September I was, I was away with some friends and I was uh, sitting in the room with everyone just sobbing because my future looked very blank to me and it was terrifying and I'm single. So I don't have a safety net. I couldn't look to a husband to to kind of float me for a while. Um, I had to figure something out, but I just didn't know what. And, uh, and I was just um, really worried about what was going to happen and scared that I was going to have to move back home to Illinois with my parents, (laughs) Um, which, you know, I'm sure that, that if I had had to do that, it would have been okay, but I just did not want to have to, um, that make that not, kind of compromise. That's not plan A. <laughs> no, definitely not plan, plan A. A. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I, all that I could do during that time was besides looking for work was to focus on self-care to make sure that I was, um, getting enough sleep. Insomnia has been the bane of my existence mm. since I was a baby. Um, and so I have a very regimented sleep schedule that I follow and, um, making sure that I was getting enough to eat, making sure the big one for me was making sure that I wasn't hiding. Mm. Uh, I, as a four, um, want to retreat if my, if I feel like my self image isn't what I want it to be, if I can't, um, present myself to the world in a certain way, I would rather just kind of be a hermit in my house until I've processed my feelings, I've cried it all out, and then can kind of reemerge and, you know, be engaged. Um, And that's even with my closest friends and my family. And that's really not fair to them. Sure. Because I I wouldn't want them to do that with me. Sure. Uh, And so the big thing that I challenged myself to do was to be present and to... um, to trust that my friends and family wanted to know what was going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the healing attitudes um, that I would say to myself a lot is maybe others do understand um, and are supporting right. me. Yes, uh, because it's very easy for me to be like, oh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't get it, or um, I, it's just going to be, I'm just going to be too much for them, um, or right. or not enough. I can go. I tend to be feel like I'm not enough more than I feel like I'm too much, um, but when my emotions are really high. Um, I tend to think that it's going to be too much and be too big of a mess Mm -hmm. and they're not going to understand or they're not going to want to be my friend anymore. (laughs) I can take it down all those paths. Uh, So, so that was my, that was my big thing of um, making sure that my friends knew where I was at. My inner circle, this is not everyone that I was interacting with, but the people that I trusted to trust that they would be there for me and that they would want to know. And I also, 
even though my budget was super tight, I made sure that I could see my counselor every six weeks or so um, just to have that um, unbiased perspective. And then in the process of that, I was just saying yes to whatever work opportunities came my way, which ended up being a legal assistant, a virtual assistant. Um, I temped in a couple places. I did a little babysitting for just um, the family that I nanny for and for my um, some friends' kids. And uh, just kind of not sure where any of it was leading, but just trying to be open to what, what would come out of it. And in January, February, I started to feel like, um, it was time for me to leave Nashville. I just didn't know where I would be going. And it's, I mean, it's such a long story. Um, and I wrote, I wrote, um, part of the story on my blog. So maybe we can just yes. um, send people that. So I if they want to know the whole thing, yes. um, but in, let's see, in March, um, I felt like it was time for me to take some more action. So as a, as a four, when I'm healthy and balanced, I move toward type one and that leads us to, um, act on our ideals. Okay. And I could feel like starting in January, I could feel like I was moving more toward type one Mm -hmm. and that even though I had been, um, kind of treading water because there just really wasn't any direction. I wanted to take direction, <laughs> any sure, direction, yes. but it just wasn't, it, it wasn't just wasn't happening. Right. And, um, and so I could kind of sense that things were starting to move and that I was in a place where it would be really healthy for me to go like to just move on to something. And so in March, I felt like I really was going to move out of state and I wasn't sure where, and I had some really trusted friends that were advising me and praying with me as I was figuring things out. And, um, a week before Easter, I had the thought pop into my head of house sitting. Uh-huh. I'm a very intuitive person. And so when these um, little glimmers come about, I, t- I tend to trust them, whether yes. it's coming from me yes. or from the Holy Spirit. I just, I pay attention to them, that's even if good. I'm initially resistant to it. Um, I have to, to say that's great because you are an INFJ in yes. Myers-Briggs, which is <laughs> the most intuitive type and, the, and mm-hmm. the type that really should rely on and act on those intuitions because they're basically always spot on. So yes. But it's hard when I feel like I was getting so many different glimmers and different ideas and I was like, well, I don't know where any of this is going. Um, and, um, my friend Megan talked about the idea of the jar lid click, um, which has been like huge to me, this idea of you can, you can think about things from a different angle and you're kind of gathering all this different information and you're not really sure what's going to come out of it. Um, but eventually it locks into place. Like when you are putting a lid on a jar and you have to kind of make sure it gets in the grooves and then when it's in the right place, it'll click. And you know it, and this is this is what I'm going to do. This is the direction. Mm-hmm. And so a week after the idea of house sitting popped into my head, uh, my friend who's out in San Francisco, we were on the phone catching up, and I was like, "Oh, I, f- I feel like I'm going to look into house sitting, but I don't really know how you how you do that. How do you find a place to house sit? My lease ends after June. Like I don't really know where I should go after that." And she was like, "Oh yeah, you can house sit for us." And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and, it, and like, that was my jar lid click moment. Say, like that was the final clicked. piece of like, oh, yes. okay, here's where I'm going to go. Um, this is what I'm going to do. And there's just been confirmation after confirmation that this is the right direction for me. And a couple of weeks ago, I was offered a full-time job um, at a church that I love I mean, I've never actually gone there. So I've never even been to California. I mean, this whole thing is just so yes. crazy, except that I know that I know that I know that this is the right place for me. This is the right, right direction for me. I feel so healthy. 
regardless of all of these things falling into place, I just know that I am my my best self, as right. healthy as I can be. Mm-hmm. And I think going into this new environment and try having some new challenges, I just feel like I'm going to rise to the occasion. And I'm really excited to see what happens once I'm out there and uh, just what else San Francisco holds for me. I don't have any idea. I'm just open to what's going to happen. Um, but I also know that transitions are hard. And so I'm going to keep practicing self-care. Exactly. I'm going to keep repeating those healthy attitudes to myself and just really monitoring, am I responding out of stress and insecurity or health and balance? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. You have that, again, it's just Enneagram is such a great tool to use because you can use it to check in with yourself and just be yes. like, okay, like you said, even though a lot of the big decisions have been made, this is still going to be a stressful time. You're aware of it and you know, like, okay, now I'm kind of veering off course. I'm moving into an unhealthy place. So Mm -hmm. I need to, you know, course correct and get back on track with healthy choices and healthy thoughts and, and those types of And planning ahead too, because I have a feeling that when I first get out there, like I'll have about a week before I start my new job. And so I'm lining up, like I have friends and family out there and I'm lining up visits with them because I think it'd be too easy for me to just kind of like hunker down in this house. Right. That's and true. Like yes. Maybe explore a little bit, but just really kind of be like, ah, what did I get myself into? But if I have people, um, which I think is both an INFJ thing and a four thing um, where I need to see people regularly so that yes. I can stay on track. Yes. Um, even though I'm an introvert, that one-on-one quality time really brings me alive. And if I don't get enough of that, mm-hmm. um, I get a little screwy. Right. Well, it's really, it's so powerful to look at this and see how um, it's such a great tool. It's such an adaptable tool that once mm-hmm. you land on what your type is, that it can apply to so many situations. It can apply to your work environment. It can apply mm-hmm. to all kinds of family dynamics, not just marriage. But one of the things that I really have had to work on in parenting is type nines as parents tend to be really permissive because mm-hmm. we just want mm-hmm. peace. My gosh, this is my daily yes. battle. Yeah. Can't everyone just be at peace, please? Yes. <laughs> and so yeah. we know, you know, I, as a type nine, I know as a mother that I have to engage. Like when people are uh, fighting, squabbling, hurting each other, making bad decisions all over the place. Like I can't just be like, Hey, be at peace. <laughs> Right, right. I got to get up. Come on. <laughs> yes, I got to get up and do something. Uh, mm-hmm. But so anyway, it's really helped me in my in, in parenting. But there's so many different dynamics. Aside from the personal satisfaction and fulfillment of knowing yourself so well in this way, like you said earlier, just the way that it plays out in all different kinds of dynamics in your life. It's so, mm-hmm. such a powerful tool. So um, as we come to a close on this show, I would love for you to tell us, because again, you are the expert in this area, for people who either have never heard of Enneagram before, or maybe are brand new to the idea of this system, maybe even people who have kind of tinkered with it a little bit, where can people go just if they want to find out more, if they want to read more, look at some of the profiles, what would your suggestion be? I think the Enneagram Institute profiles are incredible. Um, okay. I think they really do a great job of laying things out. Um, I also love bookwise um, Richard Rohr's book, The Enneagram: A Christian Perspective, okay. um, or The Power of the Enne- or Wisdom of the Enneagram. Okay. There's so many uh-huh. different Enneagram books. Yes, The Wisdom of the Enneagram, which is um, Rizzo and Hudson. Okay. Um, 
I think those are probably like the best resources just for people that want to learn more. Although it can be a lot of information. Um, so feel free to dose yourself and read a little bit here <laughs> and there. Don't get yes. overwhelmed by it. Um, yes. And I also have my own site, um, your Enneagram coach.com. Yes. Um, so they're in the FAQs. Um, I list all of those resources, um, and different, different options that are out there. So people are welcome to book a typing session with me, um, if they want to figure out their type, although I won't be uh, booking new appointments till August because I need time to move and get yes. settled and start my new job. And, yes, San Francisco, yeah. totally. Well, I <laughs> yes. will put links to all of that information, both the ones you recommended and then your Enneagramcoach.com is your site. Correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we'll leave links to that and how you can get in touch with Lee. Like she said, um, it further out into uh, the late summer maybe early fall, if you would like to have her do a personal session. And again, I can speak as somebody who has done a personal session with her with the flashcards. And when Lee did the flashcards with me, it came down between, it was a perfectly even split between Mm -hmm. type nine, the peacemaker and type seven, which um, we have a couple of the adventurer, the enthusiast. Yes. The enthusiast. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the great thing about doing a personal session with Lee is that rather than trying to muddle through it myself, she really spent a lot of time talking with me about this is what a type seven would look like. And this is what type nine and looking at all the different, I mean, just really turning it around and upside down and just talking through the whole process so that I was not just on my own, just taking a shot in the dark at it. I had somebody Mm -hmm. Um, who was really informed to talk mm-hmm. me through it. So Lee is available for um, for personal typing. And again, I'll put all of that in um, in today's show notes. So I think that's everything. Was there anything else you wanted to throw out there about Enneagram in general? Did we miss anything? I think we covered what we had had in mind. No, I mean, I think the only thing I would add is even though we focus a lot about the negative stuff, each Enneagram type yes. has amazing gifts. Oh my gosh, that's we so true. We each have strengths that we offer. We really need all nine types. So there's not yes. one type that's better than another type, even though we might look at that type and be like, oh, like I, you know, when I looked at myself, I wanted to be a type two, uh-huh. um, but yes. type two has their own, their own junk. Like that's we true. all, we all have our stuff, Yes. Um, but when we're healthy, when we're growing, we have just so much goodness that we can offer one another um, and just working toward making the world a better, better place. Um, that is so true. I'm so glad that you said that <laughs> because I'm sure that you might be listening to this episode if you've never heard of it before and be like, well, this is a bummer. I'm not yeah. gonna look at it. I don't want to confront all my dark stuff. Well, hopefully so. as we were talking about you know, knowing when we're healthy and knowing when we're not healthy, hopefully that appeals to some people and it won't appeal to everyone. That's Um, true. Yeah. As you read through the profiles, it's really good to notice that there are a lot of really empowering things to take note of about yourself and really try to live into that. So there are really Mm -hmm. great things about discovering what your profile is. It really can equip you for life in so many ways. So good stuff. Okay. Lee, where can we just find you around the internet in general, sure. where can we find you? Uh, I blog at LeeKramer.com. On Instagram, I'm Lee Kramer. Um, and Twitter, I'm Hopeful Lee. 
And it's L-E-I-G-H. That's right. That's right. My parents picked the most complicated spelling. But the most beautiful one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, that does it for our show today, you guys. I hope you have learned some really awesome stuff about the Enneagram. Thank you for joining us. And thank you again to Lee. And we will see you all back here again next week. Thanks for joining us today at Sorta Awesome. Show notes for this and every episode of Sorta Awesome are available at sortaawesomemegan.tumblr.com. If you are enjoying the show, it would be so totally awesome if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. Don't forget, if you want to discuss today's episode, you can find me on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Meg or join our community on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. I have to give a shout out to the band Prager for allowing us to use the song Strut for our in and out music. To find out more about Prager's nasty beats and pretty chords, go to pragermusic.com. And I'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life Sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.